great to see you this morning. Today we have a special guest speaker, Don Smarto. Many of you know him. He's not much of a, 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 a non we, just, we know him around here. We are so glad that he is here at the Oaks, and we're so glad that he is a part of, he teaches a Sunday school class, and, and Don gets to go around the country teaching and speaking in facilities, and it is fun to watch as he sends me emails, and I get to pray for him as he goes into the different facilities, and he's consistently sharing with me, hey, another 40 accepted Christ, say hey, another 90, another whatever, how many ever others. It's always... God is doing some great works in the juvenile facilities, and I am so thankful for Don and his work and his ministry and his heart for teenagers, and I am thankful that he is willing to to be with us today. He's been a good friend of mine. Um, He's been a person I've been able to interact with quite a bit about ministry and just talk about different things, and I am so glad today that we get a chance to hear from Don Smarto. Would you welcome Don Smarto with me? Thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Have you ever thought about how many sermons you've heard over the years? Like in a year, you've heard maybe 50 sermons. And if you add Charles Stanley and maybe Billy Graham on TV, um, in 30 years, you've heard 1,500 sermons. In 50 years, you've heard 2,600 sermons. And, uh, you know, no doubt you would agree that many of them had some good points. And then you read your Bible... And you can easily see how it applies to someone else. (laughs) You read a devotional, you appreciate the wisdom. But, you know, you can listen to so many messages, and yet there's no real change. You know, many of the letters in the New Testament were written to churches that were having problems. It began in the very beginning of the church. And essentially, uh, the letters of Paul are saying, grow up. <laughs> you know, you, you, you shouldn't gossip, you shouldn't quarrel, you shouldn't backbite. One of the things James says in his epistle is do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. Now, you have in Matthew the Sermon on the Mount, and I guess in some ways you, you could summarize that by today's words as a guide for Christian living. And so Jesus lays out all these things that we need to do, but then he ends it with a parable. And the parable really kind of brings it to a conclusion. Um, If you would stand, I'm going to read the scripture that's at Matthew 7, verses uh, 24 to 27, if you want to follow along. Matthew 7, starting at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Please be seated. You know, one of the things that Jesus knew about human nature is that people usually take the easy way. And so when when he uses this analogy, he knows that many people are going to choose to build on the ready-made sandy surface because getting to bedrock involves digging deep, and it's it's a lot of work. The rock-solid foundation of God's Word is what we ought to seek. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus 
Christ. What are the characteristics of a mature Christian? Well, humility rather than spiritual pride. I think that a growing Christian realizes uh, the limits of his or her own knowledge and always seeks the counsel of the Holy Spirit before jumping into something. When we become disillusioned by the things that people do, and you will, stay focused on Christ. I spend a lot of time with pastors. Uh, I try to go to this luncheon every Monday that the DBA has, so I'm with pastors. And I would say at least half of the guests I've had on my radio show uh, some seven years now have been pastors. So I've learned an awful lot about the church and the pastor's view. And one of the things that I'll tell you that I've learned is, without doubt, the biggest problem in the church today is spiritual maturity. It's that we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble by saying immature things, by making immature decisions, by acting in immature ways. And, of course, it's, it's, it's God's hope that we will continue to grow. It's a wonderful thing when people accept Christ. It's a wonderful thing when they come up the aisle and they get baptized. But really, discipleship is the key role of the church. Without it, it's kind of like saying to a baby, I'm going to be gone for the weekend. There's some milk in the refrigerator. There's some diapers in the closet. And there's a cell phone if you, if you need it. And nobody would do that. But sometimes we do that to infant Christians. We, we fail to disciple them, and we just hope that, you know, they'll just pick up their Bible and grow on their own. Several days ago, I was in a restaurant, um, and I see this mother holding a, a toddler, maybe three years old, who's just crying and crying and screaming, and I'm hoping they will leave the, the restaurant. But anyway, uh, he just kept screaming and started reaching out for the father. And the father wanted to grab the baby. Uh, but the mother kept insisting, no, I'm going to hold on to this baby. And suddenly, I mean, I couldn't believe it, there was a tug of war over the child. The father grabbed the child, and the mother grabbed the child, and they're pulling the child, and the father wins. He grabs the child, and then she, he hits her on the shoulder. Then a lady who was next to her, who I'm guessing was her sister, hits him. And, and they finally take this out into the lobby and eventually into the parking lot. I told the owner of the restaurant to call the police. She didn't want to get involved. Have you ever seen adults acting like children? If you haven't, spend a day in divorce court. I mean, that was when I worked in the court system, the one place that I avoided was going anywhere near domestic court. Um, maturity doesn't necessarily come with age. I've seen 50 and 60-year-old spiritual babies. So age doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're growing in Christ. You know, another thing that, that James says, because he's so practical in his letter, is that one of the things that's going to make you stumble is your mouth. He, he says you, you, you need to control it. Um, someone wants to find gossip is hearing something you like about someone you don't. <laughs> gossip is a mouth-to-mouth disease, and self-control starts with control of the tongue. Now, here's kind of a quick uh, checklist. How do you know if you're mature as a growing Christian? Well, here's a series of questions. You ask yourself, am I a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Do I like to argue? Do I like to debate? Do I like to stir the pot? Do I like to hurt people's feelings? 
Am I a peacemaker or, a, or am I a troublemaker? That's the mark of a spiritually mature person, the lack of conflict in their life. So why is there so much conflict in the world? Why is there so much conflict in marriages? Why is there so much uh, conflict in churches? Well, actually, James gives us two reasons. Because people are selfish and because people judge. And uh, again, James says in James 4, who are you to judge another? When we uh, pray to Christ, we, of course, praise and, and we, we try to acknowledge that he's in control of our life. Many times in our prayer, we call him Lord. And Lord really means master. But let's face it, sometimes we'd rather be in control of our own life. So one of the key concepts is, is obedience. Following Christ has to be more than a ticket to heaven. It has to be more than fire insurance. And your faith will be tested by storms. In April, I was in Pennsylvania. It was actually my 11th time where I speak some 25 times in a week. And, uh, and I get to share Christ in schools and in churches and, and mostly in prisons. So I was in my rent-a-car in, in the parking lot uh, just you know, kind of uh, going over things in my mind. And I looked out of the windshield, and I don't think they saw me. There was this little boy, I think he was five years old, with this just angelic look. He had blonde hair, blue eyes, and this big smile. And his father was holding his hand. And he was looking up at his father, and it was like I was watching a movie. And uh, in, in no time, the, the mother came out of the hotel and joined them. And as they started to walk to their car, I suddenly realized that this little boy was mostly paralyzed. One arm was turned in, one foot was turned in, every step was awkward, and he was almost falling. And as I watched them, I realized I knew something about them, although they were total strangers to me. I knew that they had shed tears. I knew they had had pain. I knew that this father knew that that little boy would never run and play sports. He might require a brace or a wheelchair. And I wondered if they were people of faith. Because without faith, what would be their resource? You see, any other resource, any other philosophy would be shifting sand. See, and even children understand what flooding does to a sandcastle. Without Jesus the rock, um, we have no foundation. There was a bumper sticker that said, I may be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. And that's not something to boast about. <laughs> you know, you can belong to many organizations. You could be the Christian of the year, the deacon of the decade. You can go to the best seminary in America, Harvard Theological, or DTS. Um, you can have all sorts of degrees and diplomas hanging on your wall, but that isn't necessarily spiritual maturity. The great evangelist D.L. Moody said, character is what you are in the dark. Recognition is what people say about you. Character is what God knows about you. Well, when we look at the parable of these two people, uh, the one who, who's building on the sand isn't a bad man. He's thoughtless. He's casually building in the easiest way. So you might say one is earnest, the other is content, with a, 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 an unexamined life. The later seems to want to avoid the hard work of digging deep to ensure a strong foundation. 
I was, I was telling Pastor Heath that uh, my radio guest last week was Dr. Jim Dennison. For many years, he was pastor of uh, Park City's uh, Baptist Church and uh, just an extremely deep, intelligent, and compassionate man. And I asked him this question. He was a pastor for 26 years. I said, in 26 years as a pastor, what did you learn about people? And he smiled and he looked at me and he said, it doesn't matter their station in life. It doesn't matter what they look like. Everyone has a burden. Everyone has a burden. Well, we, uh, we all have problems. We all have trials. We all have situations that are not good. And the question is, how do we handle them? Uh, how do you deal with having a dead hand. Now, now the phrase dead hand doesn't mean your hand is paralyzed. My father taught me poker when I was four years old. Um, I don't play poker anymore, so don't look at me with judgment. but, but we used to play, we, we didn't play Monopoly in my home growing up. We played five-card stud poker. And one of the things I learned was that a dead hand means you look at these cards and there's just no way you're going to win. I mean, there's nothing. Nothing matches, uh, and surely somebody else has at least a pair or something matching. And sometimes in life, we're dealt a dead hand. And we look at it in a certain situation, and uh, my friends in Christ, here's a fact. Life is full of problems, and a big part of life is problem-solving. You'll have to do it your whole life. And a spiritually mature person doesn't just take care of themselves. They look at the needs of other people. You see, Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we think that our, that our main thrust is converts. No, it's, it's disciples. Why do we need to be mature in the faith? Well, so our faith can stand up against the winds and storms of life when they come. Notice I said when they come, not if they come. But Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. For many years I knew a man and I traveled with him for, oh, about a good maybe 15 years. And he had a wonderful voice. And as a singer... He had dedicated his gift to the Lord. He sang in crusades and rallies and in churches. And one day he got throat throat cancer, and his voice was gone. And uh, he lived in the same town his whole life, and his children built homes in that town. So uh, he lived in the town, and his children lived in that town with, with his grandchildren. The same town, Joplin, Missouri. And last month, his house was wiped off the face of the earth, as were the houses of all his family, his children. How do you explain that? The the rain, the storms of life come on the good and the bad, and, and they affect the just and the unjust. Now, you're going to think that this next story I tell is made up, but let me assure you that it is not made up. It's very important for me to say that. Do you ever, you ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? You, you know that phrase. Have you ever just been grumpy? Well, I, I had, about two months ago, a very grumpy day. I'll, I'm kind of telling this in reverse. I'll tell you later what I was grumpy about. But at the end of the day, my wife had an idea that we should eat at a favorite, a favorite Asian restaurant and then try to conclude our day with some semblance of, uh, you know, peace. 
And at the end of, of the meal in an Asian restaurant, you get a little fortune cookie. And I got a bad fortune in my cookie. I am not exaggerating. <laughs> at the end of this horrible day, I opened the cookie. This is actually what it says. If you think the fates are against you, you are right. Today is your bad day. <laughs> I'm going, wait a minute here. Was this someone who had been fired from the fortune cookie factory? Was this a disgruntled fortune cookie? I, I, I had never in my life seen anything like that. Well, now I have to backtrack. Why was I grumpy? Well, my internet had gone out. Now, you might say, well, you know, that's not catastrophic. But, you know, I, I, uh, my wife says, she's here, so I'm going to be very delicate. My wife says I'm always on the computer. I'm not. Okay. I only look at it when I pass it, okay? I'm, che I'm, I'm checking emails, and, you know, I mean, I, I, sometimes there's changes in schedule, and if I'm going somewhere, uh, I have to keep, keep, keep checking. So the Internet goes out. I call the cable company, and they say it's going to be uh, about, about a day, about a day, day and a half. So anyway, this makes me a, a little gr grumpy. Now, um, remember, we were, um, we were headed for that uh, Asian restaurant that, that evening, let me go back two weeks. My wife and I had been at that Asian restaurant two weeks before. And, you know, if you've ever been in an Asian restaurant where they have a buffet, I'm up at the buffet getting some food, as she is, and she says to me, what are you doing? Why are you here? Well, I'm getting some food. She said, who's watching the purse? Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, ladies, I just want to talk to you for a moment. Is, is your purse a portable safety deposit box? I mean... Why, why are the, the men the guardians of your purse? I don't, I don't understand that. So now I come back to the, the day of the bad fortune cookie. And my wife decides she is going to put the purse in the trunk, so I put my briefcase in the trunk, and she slams it, and I see a look on her face. And the keys are in the trunk with the cell phone, with the wallet, with my glass, with everything. And then at the end of the meal, we got the bad fortune cookie. So, so this was, this was my, my, my grumpy. Well, you know, eventually we obviously called someone and, and, and got in. The next day was, was a day I was looking forward to. Pastor Heath has been a guest on my radio program, I think, three separate times. And his wife has come on as well. And uh, we were scheduled. And, and he came and we did three shows on innocent suffering. With, with a bit of a focus on sick children. And as he always does, he did a marvelous, marvelous job. And so after we did these three shows about innocent suffering, I immediately was driving home, and Jake from the cable company calls, and uh, he's ready to rendezvous with me at home. So everything's working, working really well. And so uh, when, in fact, I, uh, I, I get there, uh, I find out that... Uh, uh, Jake is 26 years old, and he tells me he just moved from Chicago. And I thought, well, that's a coincidence. It's kind of the wrong word, isn't it? Maybe, maybe you'll see it was providential. And so he says sometimes these little boxes go out. It wasn't anything major, a router, whatever. And uh, he was in the process of, of, of changing it, and I noticed that on the inside of his wrist was a big cross, and, and I was prompted to ask him. I said, Jake, can I, can I ask you about that cross on your wrist? Did you get it as a teenager? He said, no. Were you in the military? No. He said, I got it recently. He said, my daughter, my three-year-old daughter has spina bifida. And my five-year-old son keeps asking why God 
is allowing her to never walk. And he said, I decided to put that cross there, that when I have pain I don't understand, I look to the cross. I said, Jake, sit down for a moment. This is my kitchen table. And I said, I had a son that had many, many surgeries. And, and Jake, I can't explain it, but there are two things I know for sure, that God cares and that God is in control. And I looked and tears welled up in his eyes, and I said, can I pray with you? And so at the kitchen table, we prayed. He fixed the internet, but as he left, it suddenly hit me. I'm grumpy for a day, a day and a half because my internet's not working because it's about me. And I suddenly realized it wasn't about me. God took my internet out so that I could encounter Jake. It was about him. And so, so many times when things happen in life, we have the short view instead of the long view. The phone rings. We find out a tumor is malignant. There's a loss of a job. A child rebels. A mother dies. His ways are not our ways, but he's always, always good. By the way, I told Jake that I had just done three radio shows uh, about innocent suffering, and I suggested that he and his wife listen uh, to Pastor Heath, and, and I, hope, I hope that he did. So he tells me when, when he's uh, battling faith issues, he, he, looks, he looks at the cross. Um, and, that, and that is what we all need to do. Um, God cannot be contained in some little theological box. He's not going to heal on our command. He cannot be put on a leash or speak on command. We worship a God who sometimes is mysterious and his ways are not our ways. How many times do we ask, why is God silent when we want him to speak? But you know, the flip side of that is sometimes he interrupts us when we want him to be silent. <laughs> and, and, and he decides to talk to us and, and give us lessons. He's not Santa Claus. He's not genie in the bottle. He is love, he is good, he is all supreme. Several weeks ago, I was in Colorado speaking at several juvenile institutions. There's, there's a church that uh, invites me in. And they said, the last juvenile facility you're going to go to is very, very difficult. It is the worst of the worst in the state of Colorado. We have 100 uh, teenagers who were all tried as adults. Many of them have life sentences. He said, it's going to be a challenge to get their attention and to hold their attention. So, you know, as I always do, I, I prayed, and uh, the, the 100 uh, came in, and I gave them a, a, as clear an invitation to commit their heart to the Lord Jesus as I could. And I added, it doesn't mean life still won't be hard. There's no assurance that you're going to be released from this place. As I do in juvenile facilities, you, you can't have them come forward or anything, and, and you don't want them looking at each other. I ask them to bow their heads, and I pray the prayer, and I say, if you have prayed this prayer with me, if you've committed your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll ask you to raise your hand. I have no control over that part. And it seemed like maybe five seconds had gone by, and one hand in front of me went up and then a second, and then a third, and the volunteers, when they had all counted, out of that 158 of those incorrigible young men accepted Jesus Christ. You know, I know it wasn't me. When you sit back and watch the power of God at work, it's just amazing. Sometimes I, my job is to get out of the way. <laughs> it's to just, just let his, his power work. But I think it was important to say to them, don't make this decision because you think that there's going to be an easy release. Uh, 
don't, don't think that suddenly things will necessarily get, get better. There have been so many books written about why bad things happen to good people. Well, it's a fallen world. We, we were all born sin, sinners by nature, and it wasn't very long that we became sinners by choice. We have a fallen world with a lot of groaning. We even see it in the earthquakes and the tsunamis. Arthur Ashe, you may remember, was an African-American tennis player who got cancer. And he had a title for his autobiography that I thought was intriguing. His title was, Why Not Me? You see, we always ask the question, why me? Why is this happening? And, and he simply titled it, Why Not Me? In Mark 4, there is an account of Jesus having a big day with a lot of crowds, and now they're all in a boat together, and uh, Jesus is uh, laying on a cushion, and he falls asleep. And a big storm comes up. And, And it says in Mark 4, at verse 35, there was a furious squall, and it was swamping the boat. And most of the disciples were people who had worked on water. So if they were afraid of perishing, it was a pretty bad storm. And then they say to Jesus, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he gets up and he calms the storm. But then remember he says something. Have you no faith? The unbelieving world watches us, how we handle the unexpected. How do we respond to adversity and pain? When things are not easy and they're not predictable and they're not comfortable. Jake was right. When you're in pain, when you have questions, when events don't make any sense, look to the cross. On on, on that dreadful Friday, when we look at the pain and death of Jesus that seemed so senseless, we then realize that it became the hope of humanity. When dear Abby has no answers for you, when Dr. Phil gets stumped, when you get a fortune cookie that turns on you, look to the cross, look to Jesus, build on no other foundation. He wants to weaken our dependence on our own strength. I think that's why the thorn in Paul's flesh was not taken away. The mature Christian depends on God even when things are rough. My brothers and sisters, when it seems that your little boat is breaking apart by the storms of life. Remember that even when God appears to be sleeping or silent, He is, in fact, in the boat with you. Let us pray. 